the third installment of our series on anticipation. 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 Last week we saw how Mary had a certain expectation, anticipation of how her life would go. She probably thought about her wedding with Joseph, celebrating this new union, having children, growing old with Joseph, having children, all that kind of stuff. Uh, When an angel interrupted, and angels are still interrupting today, uh, I'm convinced of that. So she surrendered her anticipation to God and accepted his invitation, an invitation to join him in something that would change the world. Absolutely amazing story that I think applies directly to each of us. We have to settle the anticipation uh, and surrender the anticipation of how we think our life should go and receive God's invitation into what He desires for our lives. And those are often not the same things. And so we have to come to a point of absolute surrender to Jesus. Okay? Now, uh, we discovered then that God's greatest servants are often very, very ordinary people, as we looked at the life of Mary overall. Uh, Ordinary people have some open dates on their calendar to receive God's invitation to participate with Him. That's what we learned. So, the cast of Christmas characters is really quite amazing, and it's a mixed bag. You heard that on the video with the kids. We've got Santa, we've got Scrooge, we've got a Savior, we've got elves and angels, we've got reindeer, we've got camels, uh, we've got the sacred and the secular kind of all lumped together in colorful displays of Christmas lights and decorations. I don't know about your neighborhood, uh, but in mine, I'm always amazed to see uh, this really uh, expensive nativity scene that's lit up with Mary and Joseph and all the Christmas characters. And 10 feet away, there's a big blow up of Santa just going back and forth, right? Uh, so it's all kind of lumped uh, together there. So one of my favorites this year uh, is on my drive home, uh, someone has set up a display that I thought was kind of amazing. In fact, I took the route last night with my granddaughter, who's seven, and I said, Lily, how did Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem? She said, on a donkey. I said, nah, the Bible didn't say that, because I'm going to show you how they really did it. And so this farmer's got a, <laughs> an old milk truck, right, uh, on my journey home. And inside is perfect replica of Mary and Joseph. He's got this cab of the thing lit up. And so there is Mary and Joseph driving this milk truck uh, <laughs> to Bethlehem. And I thought, man, every time I go by that, I just laugh. I just laugh because, <laughs> uh, anyway, it's all kind of mixed together. And all of this should create within us, I think, a real sense of anticipation. Anticipation. Oh, what's to come? What's to come? From a child's perspective, it's the anticipation of presence under the tree, just waiting to be unwrapped. And for those with more years, Christmas, New Year's, this time of year, bring the anticipation of holidays and and family, good and bad, of course, uh, when it comes to family. And the anticipation of new seasons of life and more change yet to come for all of us together. Some of us have been anticipating something for a lifetime. There's two Bible characters that I think uh, point in this direction. The first uh, is a woman named Anna and then Simeon. Here's what the Word of God says. This comes from Luke chapter 2. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. 
And she was very old. Her husband died when she had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and praying. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Here's a woman that had been waiting years and years, anticipating years and years and years. Same with Simeon. We're in Luke chapter 2 again. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous, devout, was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. And so, both Anne and Simeon waiting with great anticipation for this little baby that was finally here. Now, for others, their anticipation isn't measured in years, but measured in months. Few characters in the Bible are as well known as the Magi. Uh, wise men, we'll see in just a moment. These mysterious figures from the East have become legends through both myth and tradition. We'd like to straighten a little bit of that out in just a moment as we check them out from Matthew's Gospel. But let me give you the short version. They faithfully followed the star that they had seen and wound up in a stable. They followed a star. They wound up in a stable. I'm wondering, can you relate? Of course you can relate. You followed what you thought was a star and you end up someplace you never thought you would be in some kind of stable, whatever that looks like in your life. I've learned that much more of life is lived in the stable than on the beach. We anticipate the beach. We want the beach. But most of life is lived in the stable if we're beginning to grow up a little bit on the inside. And our anticipation is matched with God's plan for us. We prefer the beach But the stable is where I learn about myself and I learn about God. I don't learn as much on the beach as I do in the stable. And we'll see why that is in just a moment, okay? So we're just kind of setting this thing up. The only facts we know for sure about the Magi are found in the first 12 verses of the Gospel of Matthew. This is the only mention of these guys in Scripture. They were skilled in astrology, sorcery, and the occult. Now, make no bones about it. Uh, these guys were really spiritual guys. And in today's world, we got a whole lot of spiritual people. But that does not equate necessarily into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that. Just because a person claims to be spiritual, these guys were spiritual well, well trained in both the occult and sorcery. They were not following God in any way, shape, or form, as we'll see in a moment. Now, they're especially noted for their ability to interpret dreams, and that's why they were so valuable, because from your dream, they could tell you exactly what was about to happen to you. So our words magic and magician come directly from the word magi okay and so 
they were educating the science and math, history and religion. By Daniel's day, we read in the Old Testament, 600 years prior to this, they were important government advisors. Can you imagine having government advisors who are well trained in the occult and sorcery? <laughs> huh. Huh. And at that point, they began to be referred to as wise men. People look to them as wise because of their training and their spirituality. Now, seeing the star in the east, the Bible says, the Magi probably traveled hundreds of miles over many months in search of a king. They were following what had been revealed to them in a star. Now, let me caution you about being starstruck. We as a culture and a society are really quite starstruck. Uh, whether it's a celebrity or a place or whatever it is, uh, we are starstruck. But there's something wrong with being starstruck scripturally. The star was a sign. A sign in scripture points to that which is about to happen or come or the destination to which we're going to arrive. A sign points to that which comes beyond it. However, too many of us get stuck on a sign. We seek for a sign. Jesus said, a wicked generation searches for a sign. And we all want the sign because it's spectacular. But the sign always points beyond. If I'm traveling on I-43, correct, as you have done, and I see a sign that says Sheboygan 29, what does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? Is the sign Sheboygan? No, the sign points to that which is to come. Sheboygan is 29 miles ahead. You don't stop at the sign. You keep going until you arrive at your destination. This makes sense, but all too many of us get stuck at the sign. Or we ask God for a sign. A sign points beyond. Don't get stuck at the sign. Don't even look for the sign. God will give you the sign when it's necessary. But that's his business, right? Look beyond the sign to what's to come. The wise men never got hung up on the sign of the star, but pushed beyond until they followed the real thing that the sign was pointing to, and that was this king. They didn't quite understand this, but they were in pursuit of a king that was about to change the world. For much of the journey, the Magi were not following that star, but they had seen it and followed where it was leading. It wasn't like this star was up there for months and months. They had seen the star. The star disappears. They head in that direction until they get further instructions. Now, I think that's important because God seldom gives us more light than what we need for the moment. We all want to know what's way up ahead. God says, I'll give you enough for tomorrow. I'll give you enough light to see just to take the next step. Don't worry about where you're going. Just follow where I'm leading you. And trust me in this. Trust me. Trust me. And then see what I can do, the Lord is saying to each and all of us. Anyway, when the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, that's where they arrived. They arrived in Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. They came to Jerusalem. They started asking questions. Things were not quite what they had anticipated. Right? The original language in verse 2 suggests they were walking around asking everyone they met, have you seen the sign? Do you know where I'm supposed to go? Where's this king that we heard about? And no one knew anything about this. And they're now 
at this point, really, really confused. He must have been a bit shocked, a little underwhelmed, disappointed, discover nobody knows what's going on. Didn't they see it too? What's happening here? They had come all this way looking for the anticipated great king, but they were about to end up in a stall. Whoo! Sounds a lot like pages from my life story. How about you? Just when we think we've got it all figured out, when we think we've got God figured out, he does something to remind us. He's bigger. He's more awesome. He's more incredible than anything we could ever dream. We're cruising down life's highway, and suddenly there's this bump. Might be little, might be big, but we hit it. Bang! Maybe you've hit one of those this week, this month, this year, this decade. Maybe you hit one of those big bumps. Wham! Knocks the front end right out, right? And what are we supposed to do at that point? Where do we go? Where do we go? We think we're cruising down the, uh, the highway for God. Huh. But... I found that how I respond to those bumps, to those twists and turns in life really determines who I am and what I believe about God. How I respond in that moment when my anticipated plans get knocked out just like Mary's did, right? That tells me a lot about who I really am. So how do you respond when you hit the bump? Like, praise God, hallelujah, as we put on our Christianese and our Christian faces and our Christian nonsense in that sense? How do we truly, how do I respond? Am I frustrated? Am I angry? Am I doubting? Am I fearful? Yeah, yeah, all the above. All the above at times in my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's why the scriptures are here, to encourage us, to encourage us, right? We can do this differently. Last week we saw again how Mary surrendered her anticipation about how her life would go. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have babies. I'm going to grow old with Joseph. I got my whole dream life just already planned out. Angel Gabriel comes, wham! Uh-uh. Mary, got a little assignment for you. Oh, I'm the Lord's servant. I will do Whatever he asks, she accepts God's invitation to join him. And her life in the entire world pivoted at that moment. Everything pivoted at that moment. If she hadn't fully surrendered, she would have gotten stuck. She would have gotten stuck at that point. And when we hit the bump, when we hit the wall, when we end up in the stall, here's what happens. We get stuck often spiritually. And we begin asking these kind of questions. Why is life so unfair? Why is life so unfair? Honestly, that's a difficult question. Why is life so unfair? Why do bad things happen to good people? Do you know some really good people? who have had just a really hard time, and it seems like just when they get back up, wham, something else happens, and these are really good folk. Why? Why does this happen? Anyone have an answer? I'm talking about the aches and pains of daily life that can almost become too much to bear. Why is a wonderful teenage girl who's headed to college on an academic scholarship killed in a car accident the week after she graduates from high school? Just doesn't seem fair. Why does a young mother of small children suddenly come down with cancer that will take her life? I don't know. 
Why does a man who's worked hard all of his life suddenly have his life savings wiped out and he's got nothing? Why? Why at this celebrated time of year, this joyful time of year, are so many lives filled with a sense of loss and loneliness and emptiness and desperation? Why is this so? Why is it? Where's the peace on earth that this guy proclaimed it would happen peace on earth goodwill to men where is there peace on earth i'll tell you of wars and rumors of wars across the face of this globe what's going on here what's going on here why do we conjure up this picture postcard christmas memory pretend to have these perfect families when the reality is there is stress there's heartache there's problems there's frustration there's all this stuff that's packaged in there why do we play this game in our heads that everything's really, really good. Because it can be good. Despite that. So why is this the way things are? You know what I'm talking about if you're dealing with grief. If you've lost someone really close to you, a friend or family member, to either death or disability, you understand what I'm saying, if you failed in business, if you failed in family matters, if you failed in friendship or morals, if you're dealing with the pain of a broken marriage or broken relationships in your heart, or it seems like all of your hard work is going for nothing, I can't figure this thing out, or you find yourself right now this morning someplace you never thought you'd be, and you are questioning things about you, your life, your family, that you never thought you'd question before. But yet here we are. Here we are. Maybe you feel like a failure as a parent or a spouse. Or maybe it seems like, you know, right now, honestly, my life seems like it's one long losing streak. And I just can't get on the other side of this. I just can't get there. You know what I'm talking about. So why is my life so unfair? I don't know. And if you turn to your neighbor... I guarantee you, they probably don't know either. And if they do, you probably don't want to hear it, right? Because cartoon character Charlie Brown was pondering the deeper things of life. He was in one of those moments. Lucy came and asked him, life is a mystery, Charlie Brown. Do you know the answer? Charlie Brown said, be kind, don't smoke, be prompt, eat sensibly, avoid cavities, smile a lot, avoid too much sun, send overseas packages early, ensure your belongings, love all creatures above and below. Lucy interrupted him and said, hold real still, Charlie Brown, because I'm about to hit you with a very sharp blow to your nose. And isn't that the case? Isn't that the case? We've all had well-intentioned people offer us simple answers to life's difficult questions. They're well-intended but I don't need to hear it. And I think it's especially, can be especially wrong and raw, even in the church, where we're supposed to be loving one another, encouraging and supporting one another, but we say these little platitude things like, okay, God's in control. I'll pray for you. Now, they're well-intentioned things and they're truth. I'm not discounting that for a moment, but it's not engaging the actual issue of what's happening in somebody's heart. We can't just fix it by quoting them a verse or by saying, I'm going to pray for you. It just doesn't work that way. And sometimes we like to just pop them in the nose, right? Sometimes there are simple answers and sometimes not. Sometimes there's really no answer at all. Can I be very open with you? Some of life's difficult questions are just too big for anyone except God. 
I have seen saints dying and in great pain, yet praising God, and this just does not compute in my brain. I have stood over the casket of children. I have stood over the casket of stillborn children, and it just doesn't seem fair. This isn't right. In my own life, things have happened over which I have no control and even less understanding. And my heart cries out, Why me, God? Why now I just don't get this? It doesn't seem fair. Is God fair? Hmm. You see, there's a danger then that our soul will grow cold when life overwhelms us, when he hit these bumps, right? Our soul will grow cold. The injustice and the unfairness begin to rob us of the joy of the journey. We wonder, what's the use of trying to do the right thing? Why do I hang in there? Why do I keep going? Why do I do this? The bad guys are treated like good guys and horrible things are happening to good people. The good die young, the rich get richer, and the poor, well, you know what that ends up, right? And so here we are. What are we supposed to do? I'm not sure why we end up in the stable. I don't know what took you to the stable. I don't know what takes me to the stable. But this I do know. God knows. God knows. And God cares. I'm a huge fan of A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer said the most profound verse in the Bible is Ezekiel 37.3. You know what Ezekiel 37.3 says? Only the Lord knows. Only the Lord knows. Only in the mind of God, the unfathomable mind of God, But I can know God who knows. And that's got to be enough. And that takes great faith. That takes, again, a moment of surrender just like Mary did. God knows why. He knows why. And I have to believe that there's meaning and purpose that took me to that stall, to that place. There's got to be. Otherwise, this life makes no sense at all. I don't know why. I do know how some men called Magi responded when their grand search for their king took them to a smelly stable stall. Now, some Bible scholars say the Magi didn't make it until Jesus was a few months old or even a toddler by the wording in these verses. But let's say for a moment, let's say for a moment, they did arrive before Mary and Joseph left Bethlehem, okay? Just like the bottom of your quiz shows, right? If so, they ended up in a stable, a stable you've been in a stable, a stable in a cave is stinky, it's dark, it's dingy, it's pretty stinky, it's dusty, and it's dirty, it's really stinky, and it's drafty, and it's drab, it's really stinky, and it's dreary, and it's dim, and, and it stinks, okay? You get the picture of what I'm trying to say here, right? This is hardly fitting for these scholarly star searchers, what's taking these wise men into this stinky place? Right? Huh. What's going on here? The wise men followed a star. They found a stable. But their response, in my opinion, is absolutely spectacular. Did you hear what they did? Did you hear what they did? Let me repeat that. The star they had seen in the east guided them to, to Bethlehem. It was ahead of them, stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests 
And for those of you that answered three wise men of gold, frankincense, and more, myrrh, right? Nah, that doesn't mean there were three, okay? The word worship, to me, is what's really powerful here. It's full of meaning. It expresses the idea of falling flat on your face. Now picture this. Falling flat on your face and kissing the feet of the one honored. This is what this word for worship means. To fall flat on your face and to grovel and kiss the feet of the one that you are worshiping. So the question is, what are we worshiping? What are we groveling at the feet of? Who is it? What is it? The wise men searching for the star are groveling at the feet of this infant in a stinky stable. Wow. Wow. Now the gifts presented the parents of the baby were an expression of their worship. And when we encounter God, that will be the expression of our worship. To give to Him. It's given from the overflow. Gold, the universal symbol of wealth, always has been, probably will always will be. Gold, frankincense, a costly, beautiful smelling incense used only on the most special of life's occasions. And then myrrh, which was an extremely valuable perfume. Even though they found the much-anticipated king in a stinky stable stall, they worshipped. They worshipped. Picture that. The response of joy and worship and giving challenges my own heart when I find myself in the stinky stable stall. Am I going to worship with joy, knowing what I know? Am I willing to surrender my anticipated plans in accepting this? Worship in a stinky stable? Huh? You see, more often than not, I want God to come looking for me. I don't want to have to follow the star. I want him to come to me. I want him to show me a sign. I want God to give me cool gifts, right? But the wise person still seeks the Savior. The wise person will worship not for what can be gained, but simply for the joy of who God is. And he is worthy, friends. The wise person will choose to worship wherever life has taken them. So where's your life right now? Where is your life? Where has life taken you lately? Huh. You see, more often than not, I, won't, I, I want God to do it my way, but the wise guys followed a star, ended up in a stable, but you know what? You know what? This is what I found in life. The stable, not so bad. The stable is not so bad. It's not my first choice of accommodations, Right? But when you're in there a bit, it's not bad. It's not bad in the stable. Sure, it might stink a little. That's a given, right? But you know what? That's where I'm going to find Jesus. Jesus is in the stable. That's where He is. Where am I looking for Him? Where is He? Where is He? He's in that hospital room when your back's against the wall. He's in that place where that... One call, that's all, suddenly pivots your life. That medical report. That conversation that takes your life in a whole different direction. Right? There he is. He's in the stable. And he's waiting in the stable. He's not chasing us up on the high ground. He's waiting to meet us in the stable. Now, maybe you find yourself standing knee-deep in stable stuff, right? You're knee-deep in it right now. 
oh, it stinks in here. It stinks in here. You never anticipated your life being here. You never anticipated your life going like this. But this is reality. This is where we are. And you know what? The view isn't too bad from there because God has plans to put us on our knees. And the view from our knees is not so bad. It's not so bad. When we choose to bend the knee to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, there's a moment that happens. Because you know what? Stables happen. Would you agree with that? And I guarantee for every person in this room, you are either coming out of the stable, you're going into the stable, or you're knee-deep in the stable right now. And if you're coming out of a stable, praise God, but you know what's coming up? Another stable. Why? Because that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is. And the disciples experienced that, did they not? When Jesus said, get out of the boat and come to me, Jesus was in the waves and in the storm, not in the boat. He's where we least expect Him. That's where He meets us. And He's longing to meet us. He's waiting to meet us. Right there. Stables happen. The question is, how are we going to respond when we're in the stable? Mary surrendered. The wise men worshipped. How will I respond? How will we respond? How will your family respond when the next stable comes? What will it be? What will it be? I would encourage you this Christmas. If you find yourself in that stable, and man, there is a lot of depression, a lot of angst, and a lot of frustration this time of the year, right? Lots of it. Take a moment alone with Jesus. And if you don't know him, he is the one that's right there in the stable waiting with open arms. It's not baby Jesus, it's King Jesus. And he waits for each of us and for all of us to surrender again our anticipated plans to come to him to worship him. For he is worthy. He alone is worthy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And if you find yourself in a stable, rejoice. And look for Jesus. Because He's in there with you. Good news, friends. Good news. Let's pray together.